Great. Morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Nice to see you. And uh, if you're visiting us today as well, you're really welcome. Hope you're enjoying being with us. And hi to everyone online. And yeah, hi to the students. Have you had a good weekend as well? And if you do need to just close your eyes a little bit, I, I won't mind. Okay, there's always one or two with their eyes closed in the talk. And, you know, so you can join them this week. Nice to see some of our um, former youth as well back from uni. So welcome. To, thanks for joining us. And a few years ago, we were in, um, when we were in one of our Penland Father's Day barbecues. Um, we used to run a little football club for under fives. And then in the summer, or the day after Father's Day, after uh, the club, we would put on a barbecue and we'd invite um, all the families who were coming to our different community projects and things. And the church, obviously, would join in and we'd have football and Bounty Castle and prizes and awards. Um, we'd share healing stories and pray for people uh, to be healed. I remember the very last one we did, Julian, there you prayed for a guy who'd um, had a really bad knee, and uh, I think he was due for an operation. All the pain went. He was an atheist, so he was completely shocked. And then he could join in with the dad's penalty shootout competition uh, after that, which was pretty good. He didn't win, but, you know, pray harder next time. It was a good effort, but he was healed, so that was cool. And uh, but anyway, I remember one year, because we did a few of these, about a couple of hours into the barbecue, uh, some of our, who are our youth today, we've got brilliant uh, youth, um, but they were a bit younger then, Hannah, Miriam, Oliver, Naomi, uh, coming up to me and asking, can we have a, a burger now? Are we allowed to have a burger? And uh, these, you know, young people had been waiting a couple of hours by now for all the guests to go first before they went up to collect a, a burger for themselves. And I think some people had their seconds or thirds by this point, and they'd waited all this time. And I was so impressed. I hadn't asked them to do that. Maybe their parents had, I don't know. But uh, I remember I was really impressed with how they'd, you know, they'd really waited a long time. They'd given like 100%. So well done, guys. And I was really impressed. And I thought their example of putting you know, the guests first and the visitors who were joining in really embodies and embodied one of our key values as a church, which is to be outward focused in all that we do, always thinking about how can we make Jesus and his message of forgiveness, his healing, his welcome into relationship with God and the gift of eternal life accessible to our community, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our families, to people that we come across with. How can we always be thinking with others in mind? And uh, a phrase that is often used to explain this is to be missional. And the primary purpose of church is to actually join in with Jesus's rescue mission of our world. That, you know, we know, isn't it, that church isn't a building and church is more than a meeting uh, church is a community, a community of people following Jesus together, and we express that locally in local churches where, you know, different, in, you know, in, so all across the world in different areas, people come together, and they're the local church in that area, if you like, and they're a community of people following Jesus. And Jesus said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so just as Jesus came into the world with a mission to bring rescue and healing and forgiveness and restoration to our world, he now sends us out as a part of that. And so for us as a church, when we think about our identity and we think, 
well, who are we as a church? And what does it mean to be a church? And what shapes our values? And what shapes and helps us decide what are the things that we're going to do together? And what's it going to look like? And what are we going to run and not going to run? And how are we going to run it and not going to run it? And what are we going to do? How are we going to serve in our area? What about socials? What about meetings? What about our life together? What about fun things? What about et cetera, et cetera? It always starts and ends with this calling to reach our world with God's love, his welcome, his goodness, and his invitation to relationship with him through Jesus. That's what starts our decision-making, and that's what ends our decision-making. And that's the bracket that kind of forms everything that we do. Now, Jesus said to his followers, before he returned to heaven, after he'd come back to life, after dying on the cross, came back to life, spent time with his followers, then he went back to heaven, and just before he did, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, notice how Jesus doesn't say, you will witness, like, oh, this is something you'll do from time to time, like, you know, you've got this and this and this, and then, you know, occasionally you'll pencil in the diary, we're going to do some witness. No, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you will be my witnesses. It's not something we do, it's who we are. Day in, day out, when you're a follower of Jesus, you're a witness to Jesus. It's our identity. So Christopher Wright, who is a theologian, an Old Testament theologian, he's wrote these two great books, who actually shows how this is a theme of the whole Bible from beginning to end about God's rescue plan for our world. He says this, it's not so much a case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. So in other words, God is in the process of rescuing and restoring and bringing healing in our world. And for that job, he has a church. Now, last week, Sean spoke on how we can live this out in our daily lives, you know, wherever we are, each and every one of us, when we go from here back to work or back to our home or back to our family or back to different towns, places where we are, you know, we all live this out every day, day in, day out. But today we're going to look at what does this look like for us when we are together and in the things that we do together as a part of church life. So we're going to have a look at a couple of examples from Jesus' life and something from Paul about how this shapes what church looks like together. So first of all, this is a moment when Jesus calls Peter and some other disciples to follow him. This is a good kind of example for us. So let's have a look together. So it says this in Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water, and so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now, this is a typical scene in Jesus' life where crowds of people would come to hear him as he shared about who God is and how we can know him in our lives and what it means to follow him and live out what he calls to do. And often those coming to listen to Jesus, you know, might not be the people that would, you would expect to come and listen to a teacher, a religious teacher as he would be known, like Jesus. So Mark once records this, he says, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors who were hated at the time and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> Interesting way he puts it. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. 
And so the first thing we see about Jesus is Jesus was totally accessible. I mean, it's amazing in the first place that God himself, who is beyond all things, would come into the world as a man and be born as a baby, grow up as a teenager, and then, you know, become a, and be a man, God himself, to give the clearest possible picture of who God is and what he is like and how we can know him. Jesus was up close and personal, no barriers. Now, when we think about Jesus and we see some of the paintings and pictures of Jesus that are kind of culture has produced over the years, often they're things like this, and they? And you see Jesus like glowing and floating around. But in, you know, in reality, Jesus was just like any other person of his time, in his appearance, in his clothes, in the way he spoke, in his accent, in his language. He was just like anybody else. And he was totally just normal in his context in this kind of way. So much so that on the night Jesus was arrested, the soldiers who were going to arrest him, they needed someone to betray Jesus to them. Because in a crowd of local Jewish men, you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick Jesus out of that crowd because he just looked like an ordinary guy. And so they needed Judas to, and Jesus, Judas said, you know, the one I greet with a kiss, that one is Jesus. And so they knew who to arrest because Jesus was just like, in that way, he was just like anyone else. He was totally accessible and relevant. He spoke the language, he wore the clothes, he was normal in that way. And when Jesus taught, when Jesus spoke, he did so in a way that was understandable. The language he used, the stories he told, they were drawn from everyday life and they related to everyday life. Things like, you know, the Good Samaritan or the shepherd and the lost sheep, the pearl of great price, a mustard seed of faith. Now, when we hear these stories today and we think about them, we think of them as Jesus stories and Bible language. I don't know about you, but I don't ever talk about mustard seeds. Or anyone here, you, there's probably a few gardeners here, maybe plant a mustard seed. Fionn, I'm looking for you, I'm not sure. But I never mention mustard seeds or pearls of great price or treasure hidden in a field. I'd love to find treasure in a field, but that's, you know, it's not part of my daily life. I don't know about you. So that's Bible language for me. That's Jesus' language. But when Jesus was using these things, they weren't Bible language. It wasn't religious language. Jesus was creating stories based on the things around him, being creative and inventive to help explain what God was like for the people there and then in the moment in a creative and relevant and accessible way to his context. And of course, he lived out his words as well, how he loved and treated others. It was authentic, it was real, and he showed the power of God when he healed and did amazing things and demonstrated that God is alive and active in our lives then as he is today. And so for the crowds, when they came to hear Jesus, they could understand what he was saying and he spoke into their lives. Matthew 7, Matthew records the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had real authority and not as their teachers of the religious law. And so Jesus sets an example for us about how we can communicate and how we can be accessible and how we can be relevant to our world today with his message and communicate it in this kind of way. Now, Paul, for example, and the early church, they put into this into practice. So when we think about Paul, Paul was a Pharisee, and that was one of the stricter Jewish religious groups. And the Pharisees, they really struggled with Jesus, didn't they? 
They struggled with how he was making God accessible. They were struggled with the way he communicated. They struggled with the way he healed. They struggled with the way he spoke and his accessibility. And in their jealousy, they were involved in his crucifixion as well. And a few years down the line, Paul, a Pharisee, he has an encounter with Jesus and realizes that Jesus is alive, he's risen from the dead, he is the savior of the world, and he's like a bit like Holly and Alpha, woo, I wasn't expecting that, not quite the same, but you know where I'm going. Anyway, um, so Paul now has to get his head around this, the fact that Jesus is the savior of the world the person in the Old Testament that's been prophesied that this is actually Jesus, that has happened, that is here and now, and he's got to get his head all around this. But then what's even more amazing is that God sends Paul out into the Greek and Roman world to tell people about Jesus and what he's managed to get his head around, what he has seen. And the Greek and Roman world was a totally different context and culture. It didn't share the same values, the same worldview, the same identity, the same history, culture, the basic assumptions, morality of Paul's Jewish background and everything rooted out of the Old Testament. It was, it was like a blank slate. It was totally, totally different world, different culture. And so Paul had to find ways to communicate who Jesus is in a creative way that would speak into this world and into this culture and people who had none of the same reference points as what he had. So when you look at his letters, you see how he wrote to different churches spread across the Roman world and how he used their language and culture to communicate things like that we know of today, things like where he talks about the armor of God or fight the good fight or, you know, run the race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Or there's one time when he was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was encouraging the church there to put others first, and not to just think about themselves, and especially the particular, the more the older or mature Christians in this church, and he was challenging them, don't just think about yourself, think about new believers, think about unbelievers, think about people who don't know Jesus yet, it's not all about your preferences, but how can you help others in their journey of faith? This is what he was challenging uh, them about over particular issues that were relevant to them. But then he uses the example of the Olympics and athletics to illustrate it and how athletes would have to sacrifice and discipline themselves, isn't it, to achieve a prize. He says, you know, we're a bit like that. So he says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They don't always get to do what they want, but they're disciplined for the goal. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. And then he goes on. Now, when we read these in the New Testament, for us, this is Christian language, isn't it? This is, you know, normal for us. This is, you know, the armor of God or, you know, you hear the difference. Oh, he fought the good fight or he ran the race. This is Christian language. But when Paul wrote it, it wasn't Christian language. It wasn't Bible language. He didn't get it from the Old Testament. He got it from the culture. Now, I bet that the Pharisees of Paul's day found him comparing, you know, God and his goodness and who God is to a Roman soldier's armor who they hated or um, gladiator fights or the Olympics 
which were part of a religious festival to Zeus, and the athletes would run naked, and there'd be sacrifices and all sorts. They probably thought this was scandalous that Paul would compare and use this as a way to communicate who God is. I bet they were shocked. But Paul was working hard to communicate his message and who Jesus is in a totally new culture. And he took items from the culture, spoke into the culture, and even sometimes it gave these things new meaning. It it redeemed them for a new purpose and a new meaning. Now, we've had a similar, not quite the same, but a similar experience on a a few things. Not the same impact as Paul, obviously. But I remember a number of years ago in one of our Christmas services... When the band learned uh, one of Jess Glynn's songs that had just come out and it was being played on the radio everywhere, you know, it's like all this, all you hear all the time over like a particular period. And Beth and the band learned and played it. And then in Julian's message, he referred to some of the lyrics and compared it to, you know, the Christmas story of what Jesus has done and shared healing stories that it kind of woven in together. And I remember one person commenting after that, a guest who'd come along that, you know, we knew or bumped into somewhere else. And she said how whenever she heard that song since then, when she was doing her Christmas shopping or in the shops or whatever, whenever she heard that song, it brought it all back. And it made me think of the Christmas service and Julian's talk and what he'd been talking about. And it, like, you know, changed that meaning for her. I remember in this one school, Beth and myself in the secondary school, we used to do this lesson. But do you remember the advert with the left Twix and the right Twix? And then they'd fallen out. And I can't even, you know, we used this about to talk about, like, how we need, you know, forgiveness, and et cetera. And we did this activity with them where they all had, we gave every second person, this was all young, you know, teenagers, we gave every second person a Twix. And then they had to, like, break it in half. And then there was one point during the, like, lesson, or it was in lunchtime, where they had to, they had the choice whether to share half the Twix with the person next to them or keep it all to themselves. And that, that was a real uh, good, that really got them engaged. But anyway, we, you know, we used to share this and talk about Jesus, etc. through this Twix thing. And I remember, you know, for years later, there was this teacher, every time I'd bump into him, he'd comment about the Twixes. Oh, I remember the Twixes. Or I remember what you said. And it was like, every time we saw a Twix, it made me think about Jesus. I thought it was quite funny. So anyway, for us as a church, in our life together... We want to follow Jesus' example as well, don't we? We want to be outward focused and thinking of others first in our life together. And how can we make Jesus and his message and all that we know and all that we've experienced accessible in our day, in our age, to people right now here in Swansea? And so this shapes our life together, and this includes all of us. So, you know, on Sunday mornings, for example... When someone walks through the door through the first time, the welcome and the friendliness, just how actually Holly said with the Alpha, you know, that welcome from Russo and Christy, how that made all the difference. Our welcome, our friendliness, our choice to go and say hello, or if we spot someone, you know, to say hello, to say welcome, to make sure, you know, and to express that. The layout of the building, making sure it's clean and tidy. Over the years, we've had different cleaning teams. You know, so it makes a difference when you walk in so that it's clean, so that it's nice, so that, you know, you can use the toilets or whatever, and it's nice. The live stream teams who are, you know, work hard and get up here early every week to uh, make sure that, you know, people who are at home who can't get here, or people who are exploring church maybe for the first time and are watching online, uh, first of all, so that they can access it that way. In our language, in our style, in our visuals, in the length of things that we do, how we try to include the children and families, because, you know, they are 
it's so important that they grow up to know Jesus for themselves and they know that this is a church for them and they're involved and they're valued, just like the kids what was explaining. How we pray for people when we pray for healing or when we share a prophetic word or we hear God, think God is saying that we just do that in a normal way, just like I'm speaking normally to you now. But when I pray for someone for healing, I just do it normally. If I share, oh, I think God's saying this, I just do it normally. I don't get into break into Shakespearean language and thus saith the Lord and you know going back 500 years in my language all of a sudden because I don't speak like when I go out there to the shop. I don't speak like that. You know, thus saith Matthew. Can I have a two you know cappuccinos, please? So, why do it now? Okay, anyway, so with Christmas, for example, you know, in our, just as one example, recently with a few things we were doing, that's why, you know, in our Christmas service, we often start with a, a drinks reception with carver and canapes so that, you know, there's a chance we would just be welcomed and to enjoy being with us and so we can show hospitality and we can, you know, that's, what, that's a normal thing in our culture, isn't it? To have a drink and a little bite to eat together and then we do our Christmas service. Or this year we did the wreath making for the first time because apparently that's really popular. And I think it was pretty popular. And I, when I was hoovering the carpet in Penland the next week and, you know, could hear the of those wreath things going, I could see this was obviously a popular event. So they'd spread it all out, which is great. I'm glad you did it. Well done. Or when we go to the towers and we have our, you know, our Christmas party and we can invite friends along and, yeah, um, here we go and have a meal. And you'll be grateful this is the only silent disco picture I I shared. There's a few others of people throwing some good shapes, but this I've spared you all. And we do our, um, you know, our silent disco, and we have fun, and all these different things. We want to make church and what we know and our life together accessible and available and welcoming, and is building a bridge for people in our community so that they can access it too. And in fact, if you hadn't ever noticed, that's actually our logo. If you're wondering what that weird kind of thing is, it's actually a bridge. Can you see? How it goes from one thing to other. So that's our heart, that we want to build a bridge for people, that people feel welcome. Okay, moving on into the second thing. That was the longest point. Got two quick ones now, okay, to finish us off. So if you're still awake, well done. Bear with, keep going with me, okay? Now then, so the first thing with Jesus was, uh, what was it? What did I say he was? Accessible. Well done. The second thing, he was authentic. Jesus was missional in his everyday if we go back to our story of Jesus in Peter's boat, when you think about it, this is actually Peter's place of work. So this story isn't taking place in a church building or a religious service. It's in the workplace. And it says this next. Here we go. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who's, that's, that's his real name. Peter was his nickname. He said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And so Jesus here does a miracle in Peter's workplace, in his boat, at his job. And what I love about this is that Jesus just does it. There's no build-up, there's no hype, nothing religious, just authentic and real and every day and in the moment. And what we do as church together on a Sunday, for example, or other things, is for our everyday. We can do it in our everyday 
in a normal way. We do it here in a normal way, and we can do it in our other places in a normal way. So one time after the... Uh, huh, I've got some extra slides here. Look. There we go. Some bonus slides here. There we go. Now then. <laughs> one time after the meeting, um, Jez and Helen, they went on their way home. They went via a carpet shop to buy some carpet, I presume. Um, and as they were chatting with the sales assistant, the lady there, she complained to them of this terrible ear infection that she'd been having. And uh, I think, you know, apologized, you know, if she wasn't quite 100% with it. And so they offered to pray for her. And they prayed for her. And she got completely healed of all her earache and pain in the carpet shop uh, on their way home. Or Gemma, uh, for example, who's a teacher in one of the local schools, she said how she was sharing with uh, one of her colleagues, uh, often on work nights out, because uh, they're similar age, same age, but they had different subjects. They did not cross paths in school very often. But on a night out with the staff and stuff, they would chat. And over you know, a number of occasions, Gemma shared her faith with uh, her friend Rachel, uh, who didn't really have faith and wasn't, you know, um, wasn't a Christian and that kind of thing. And uh, after a few conversations, Gemma invited her to Alpha. And uh, Rachel joined in Alpha Online over COVID, because uh, that's how they were doing it then. And as you know, she uh, gave her life to Jesus and became a Christian after doing Alpha. And she got baptized with us last year. And we dedicated her two little twins uh, recently, her and Darius's little ones. And uh, so that's lovely, isn't it? So in here and, you know, wherever we are, in the everyday. And then finally with Jesus, Jesus was distinctive and welcoming. So let's see this last one together. It says this. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Debedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So here we see how Peter is pretty like overwhelmed by this miracle. And he realizes there's something different about Jesus. And so we see with Jesus, he was totally relevant. He was totally accessible, but he didn't lose his distinctiveness. His identity and his message and who he was and what he brought was clear and he shared it in a relevant and accessible and a culturally appropriate, understandable way. And in this instance, as Peter's heard Jesus teach, and then there's a miracle taking place, he becomes convicted and realizes about his own sin. And quite possibly, maybe it was, uh, he was feeling bad about shouting at the boy with the skateboard. Or maybe it was his attitude to Jesus in the boat when he's in a bit, oh, if we have to take the boat out. And then, you know, I don't know. But as we see for Jesus, this is no barrier to him. And he says, do not be afraid. And he gives an invitation to come and follow me. Do not be afraid, but come and follow me. And he welcomes Peter that this is for you too. And I love how Jesus does it again. How he does it in Peter's language where he says, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. Or in the other, other translations that are famous where he says, I will make you a fisher of men. And how Jesus calls Peter to follow him, but calls him using his own language. You know, I'll make you a fisher of men. That's amazing, isn't it? So, for us too, let's have that welcoming, 
culture. Let's have an invite culture that we are ready, whenever we are, in the everyday, to be ready to invite, to invite people to come and see for, come and see for yourself or to offer prayer. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you to be? Lots of people get healed in our church when we pray. Would I, can I pray for you? Invite them to receive prayer. Invite them to join in with, you know, whether it's football on a Sunday night or a walk and coffee down at the Mumbles or as we've just launched with our new Alpha. Let's be ready to invite because we never know how far that invite will go and the difference that it makes in people's lives. And let's do all that we can right now to be welcoming, accessible, authentic, and ready to invite because Jesus wants to work through us, and that's what we're here for. Are you up for that? Great. So why don't I pray? And as we do, we can have a pray and think about as well, who can we be inviting to this next Alpha, which will really help us live this out? Because it's such a great uh, resource, and it really is. It, you know, the course itself, does all, the series, does all those things um, that we've been talking about. So have a little thanks. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came into our world in a way that was totally accessible, that you, were, you spoke the language, that you, you, know, you wore the clothes, that you made it clear to us as people what God is like and who he is and how we can know him in our lives. I thank you for the examples all the way through the Bible of how you've done this. And I pray that you would empower us and equip us by your Holy Spirit to, to be a people of in, inviting today and that you'd give us ideas and to be creative and to be bold, that we too can share the wonderful things you've done in our lives with others because you want to bless them as well and invite them as well. And so I pray for each one of us now, would you speak to us about who can we be sharing with, who can we be inviting, and uh, how can we play our part in what you're doing in our world to bring your love and your kindness and your rescue. In Jesus' name, amen.